Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Hello and welcome into another episode of another Carolina podcast. A little bit shorthanded today. Christopher Clark has abandoned us, but Wes Mitchell and I did our best to break down all the ins and outs of the spring game, including a big recruiting weekend for South Carolina. And want to remind you guys, if you like what you're hearing and you want to hear more of it, give us a rating, a review, go ahead and subscribe and share with your friends, give us any kind of feedback that you have so we can keep doing this and make it the best we can possibly make it. Thanks for listening. All right. Hanging out in the studio now with me, Wes Mitchell, Chris Clark. Very proud of him. Headed out west for the sole purpose of enjoying some NBA playoff action. <laughs> he's headed to I Denver. Was, I was wondering where you were going. Yeah, he's, he said he might. He's going to go Colorado. There. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm just hoping that he catches game one of uh, the Nuggets and the San Antonio Spurs on Saturday. Fingers crossed. Fingers you, crossed. I don't. I don't expect that to happen necessarily. And that's certainly not a, the only reason. Do you he's think he's a there. good skier? I just looking you know at him. I would say no, just looking at him. But also, he plays a ton of sports. Like yeah. he plays soccer on Fridays. He plays like squash or handball or something on Wednesdays. Still don't know exactly what handball is. Oh, but handball's really cool. It's um, I've heard. Gosh, well, you know what? I can't even think of a good way to describe it. I had a German exchange student live with me my sophomore year in high school, and he was like a really good handball player. It's I mean, it's sort of like hockey, but you just like run around with a a ball that's definitely bigger than a tennis ball, smaller than a volleyball. I like the size of a tangerine, maybe. <laughs> um, okay. I guess. I'm, I mean, that sounds that sounds cool. Apparently, former Gamecock pitcher Jay Brown is like a five-star handball, handball player. player. Really? Yes. Apparently, he throws seeds 
that people just get out of the way of. Oh, so we're just continuing with the fruit metaphor here. Yes. Um, well, not I went purpose, to high school but... with a guy named A.D. Briggs. Shout out if you're listening for some reason. Who went to Auburn and I think picked up handball there. And then I, I'm pretty sure he played for like the USA handball team, which <laughs> is a thing. I did not know that was a thing. But apparently he's also uh, excellent at that. Uh, I'm Pearson Fowler. I'm the host of Lunch on 107.5 The Game. You can listen to my show 12 to 1 weekdays. I got Wes on with me on Mondays. Chris is normally with me on Thursdays. Today on the podcast, as I mentioned, just the two of us. Chris is taking some time off. Um, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of the spring game, which South Carolina had last Saturday. Uh, talk a little bit about the recruiting. It was a big recruiting weekend for South Carolina in terms of the number of recruits and also the quality of recruits in town. So talk a little bit about that. But we're going to get started with some football. Wesley, you were at the spring game. What were your big-picture takeaways? Yeah, I think uh, big picture, maybe the the biggest surprise was just the the play of Jay Urich, um and and the overall involvement of Jay Urich. That's uh, that's where you're starting, Jay Urich? I mean, for, I mean it was surprising. That to, I mean I'm, I think that was the biggest storyline of the game. Now I, I, I think it's one of those things where, okay, was that like a spring game thing because they didn't really have a whole lot of depth at receiver, uh, you know. The freshmen haven't gotten on campus yet at that position. Or Trey Smith's still, you know, out. Or is that, like, something that's going to be a real part of, you know, of, of the offense? And Secret everything? weapon. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think probably somewhere in, in between. I I think it's going to be difficult. We, we often have this thing of wanting to just, like, oh, yeah, that guy should move to this position. And, you know, we're guilty of saying, well, this guy's a great athlete. He should play receiver. He should play running back. And then, you know, most of the guys already playing that position are pretty good athletes in their own right and have been playing that position for years of their life. So it's hard to just, trans, you know, transition over and, and play receiver. Um, but was it a cool story for Jay who, you know, you listen to the guys in the post game, and, you know, they say things like – and teammates are always going to say good things about their teammates when they're asked. But um, you get the genuine comments like, hey, this guy is – one of the hardest workers in this building, um, one of the best guys in this building. Um, you know, they were generally happy for him. I, I think the question moving forward, and, and we talked about this leading up to the spring game, is that they're, you know, our Spring King segment, <laughs> performance in the spring game doesn't always mean really anything when it comes to the season. But right. but 11 I, targets is a lot. Shai Smith only had seven. Yeah, so My only was, conclusion there is that Jay Urich is going to be the number two wide receiver behind. Who had the most targets? I think Was it Keel Pollard maybe? Maybe. I think he I, had 12. Somebody had 12. I don't remember exactly. Yeah, it, was, it may have been him. but That you know, should be our conclusion from this. Yeah, there you go. I, you know, I, I think you still look, Shai Smith, and see, Brian Edwards really didn't play. Um, so, Brian Edwards, Shai Smith, once Ortrey Smith gets healthy, then I think you have the, the next level there of Randrickus Davis, who's finally healthy, Josh Van, you know, in his second year. Then I think maybe you start to talk about that next spot. Um is a Chad Terrell sort of ready to step in. You still have Travis Dawkins, who, you know, is a veteran guy. Hasn't done a ton, but has, has just sort of been that veteran steady receiver. And then you have the true freshman coming in this summer. So um, the receiver depth really probably isn't near as thin as it appeared to be on Saturday once you start adding all those other pieces back into the mix. So so we'll see. Um, you know, other storylines, Parker White, I, I thought that was great, you know, how they handled that and, and well-deserved. Um, he did a really good job looking back last year as the kicker. So that was 11 cool. of 12 on field goals, 40 yards and in, and then was 2 of 4 maybe 
beyond that, so he, he was 13 of 16 for the season. Mm-hmm. So I think that math works out. And I think they made some better decisions about when to trot him out there. Um, and then in turn, I think his confidence went up. And he had fixed, you know, Muschamp talked about it. Um, you know, he had fixed some things mechanically to make him a more accurate kicker. But um, you added all those things together, and it, it led to a big year for him last year. And I, I thought that was a, that was cool how they did it and sort of made a little moment out of it. But, uh, you know, I, I think after that, the question is, what, what, did, we, what did we truly learn that actually – sort of is going to factor in next year. Um where where would you start there? Mm, if not, any if anything. <laughs> not a whole lot. I liked seeing the defensive line rotation. Uh it, it was just it was just good to see those bodies out there. Like I again I try not to to take too much from the spring game. There the mm. mostly what I glean is what groups the coaches roll out there when um, situationally, and I, I think there's We're maybe a little bit more to learn uh, from the skill position players, and I've had a couple people push back on that, but that maybe has more to do with five not having as keen an eye watching uh, the, uh, the trenches as I do the skill position. But the just Virtually. the basic eye test of yes, looking at the defensive line and saying, remain. that looks like a real defensive line, and then they're rolling out the twos, and I'm like, hey, that still kind of looks like a real defensive line, where at times last year, you were looking at the ones, and you're like, all right, so that's like a linebacker and like a defensive end play and defensive tackle, and like, what? You know, and no disrespect to those guys because obviously the whole um, defensive honey, unit was banged up. So bathing suits especially by the, in the especially by the you end. You know how the weather is this time of year. Position, it's called it was nice prepping. I'm a beach Eskimo dad. Options. You know, you know we, we have a comfort have, system. Yeah, yeah. it comes on. You, you remember there, last year, right? That's it. I'm calling. Brian's heating and cooling. Here's that voice again. Locally owned Brian's heating and cooling. They take your comfort personally. GetCoolColumbia.com or 79 you can even say that that, I think, led to Muschamp's decision to not have the quarterbacks live because I think you look at the second-team O-line and and maybe that lends some credence to maybe some concerns there about position. You know, I think there's positions you look at and you say you can't really have injuries here or you're going to be in trouble. And I think offensive tackling is one of those spots where you feel good about the first two, but then you get past them, you're talking about a lot of inexperience. I think you then compare Second team offensive tackle we can help. and the you know Sketch defensive end and buck that they're going that against, you and you say, wow, stylist. the defensive line is, is well ahead as far as depth there because right I you know I thought Enigbare had a really good day and some of that is you know he benefits from going up against the second team offensive line at times and an inexperienced guy. But the absent member of this podcast crew said yesterday on my local show that JJ Enigbare was winner based on spring game. Would that be your pick as well? Deliver to you so he'd you be close. I mean, he'd, he'd be in the conversation uh, for sure. Keep um, and and I think that's a position that is really, you, keep and you know, there aren't really too many true position free. battles. And that one maybe wasn't talked about enough, but Aaron Sterling coming back, J.J. Nibare fighting there. You know, and then Keir Thomas is a guy that, you know, from what I saw and was told, I think he played more inside this spring than he did outside. I think it's more like you, you know, talked about. The there's m- there's more the great opportunities to get guys rest. at their true positions and uh, to sort of lock them into a spot. They'll still cross-train, but um, when you start to have some we'll depth, you're not forcing. You're maybe cross-training a guy because, hey, he's capable of playing right both as opposed to, hey, want to he try has to because if one person goes luck, down, we have to slide this guy around and move this guy up, and it creates all these moving parts, whereas now you may be able to go – 
and miracle I think certainly soil, too deep across for just the D line and have running, you know there's gonna be well there's gonna be drop off from probably Devon Kinlaws and whoever's next. Day is there's gonna be drop off from DJ Wano who I think Black is Friday prices probably the biggest herbs, thing we don't talk about from last year is how much they missed him. There's gonna be some drop off, but you know that's normal. I think, but you say hey, like you said, those guys look like SEC defensive linemen, and then I think even if you start going to that third group, you at least say these are guys that can go out there and still have the size to play the position and and not just be that you're done, you know, that you just are going to get crushed up front. You know what? I think Rick Sandage, from what I keep hearing about the spring, he may be sort of in a low-key fashion had one of the best springs that we aren't really talking about. So then when you start talking about a guy who's pushing for for another starting spot, you have some real competition at defensive tackle. I I think – Kinlaw is going to start somewhere, but then, you know, Keir Thomas, is he inside or is he outside? Um, you know, if he enters that defensive end competition, then you have, like, three guys fighting it out. Uh, Kobe Smith is a senior who's been a very solid contributor, um, but Sandage is pushing. He's got more upside than almost all those guys. And then the fact that we're not even having to talk about Zach Pickens until right now. And the fact um, that we're not even having to talk about the fact that Josh Belk transferred. We're talking about a five-star defensive tackle that on paper and in terms of the measurables was going to be, like, actually one of the biggest, you know, defensive yeah. tackle prospects Carolina's had since, I don't know, like Lottie boy. I mean, that <laughs> dude was just, he was just girth that you plug the middle of the line. He's no longer at the program, and we're not even talking about it. We're still talking about a defensive line that has a lot of depth, and that's, it's, it's one thing that uh, the development of the young guys towards the end of last year, uh, you know, sort of by necessity, mm-hmm. was low-key, like, very, very important for... I, like, I don't know, a, a very important part of, of the progression of this program. And it's, it's you know, sort of one of those things where it's like the adversity could end up being a, a good thing for Carolina because as, as as banged up as the defense was last year, you force some of the young guys, not only on the defensive line, but you force guys like R.J. Roderick to take a lot of important, you know, meaningful snaps and meaningful games in the secondary. Those guys basically get ahead of schedule, and then you have all the other guys coming in and, and giving you that depth. I mean, it's I'm, I'm not going to say what happened last year you know, with uh, on the injury front was a good thing for Carolina. But now you look at it, and it's like the timeline has been accelerated for those young guys, and it just really rounds out the group on defense. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, as we were saying it, I was kind of counting in my head. If, if you're just looking at the two defensive tackle spots, and you're talking about Ken Law, Kobe Smith, you know, Sandage, Keir Thomas. I mean, there's four guys right there before we even get to Zach Pickens. Um, then, you know, I, I think if you start looking at a third team potentially um, – you know, some guys that we don't, we haven't really talked about, but sort of fit that mold as, hey, they could still go in there if they needed to. Jabari Ellis, uh, you hear, you know, that he's made progress. Devontae Davis is a Juco kid that transferred in, but still actually, he would have a redshirt year, which I think with the four, with the four game rule with the redshirts now, with Juco's, I almost wonder if maybe that's the best case for Juco guys because it does sometimes take them that one year before they really sort of settle in. So I wonder if he may be a guy that maybe plays some but can still redshirt this year. Joseph Anderson's a guy that I asked you all about who, you know, by all accounts, people that I've talked to around the program, what we've heard from coaches is a guy with so much upside. And when I I talked to Langston Moore and Preston Thorne earlier this week when they were doing their just a chicken little takeover on 107 by the game, they were. I was asking them, you know, who has sort of stood out to you throughout the course of spring, and you know, they maybe get a, a few more like inside looks mm-hmm. uh, than we do. I don't know that for sure, but I'm just guessing and appreciate their insights as uh, former defensive tackles. Both of them were like, "Yeah, this Joseph Anderson kid's gonna be good." 
he's not even going to be like in the top six this year. He's probably going to redshirt, at least according to what you and Chris seem to think and, and what we've seen in terms of, uh, you know, how they're rolling those units out. Yeah, and I, I think, um, you know, he's a guy from what we've picked up is actually, and this doesn't, I don't want to say it never happens, but it's probably less common. He's actually been better as far as his pass rush ability than they expected, you know, when they evaluated him. So that, that's been a nice surprise, and they liked him a lot. It's just that extra sort of pass rush juice. He's kind of a bigger kid when you look at him as a defensive end, but to have that explosive off the, explosiveness off the edge is, is big for him. And then, you know, you go to the buck position, DJ Wanham, uh, Brad Johnson, who, you know, they talked very highly about his progress this year. You still have um, Danny Fennell who could go in there and then uh, we're not even talking about Rodriguez Fenton, who is another freshman who fits that mold, I think, of ideally, you know, you redshirt him, pack some pounds on him, and then go from there. So, uh, so yeah, I think that's probably the thing Muschamp sounds as genuinely excited about is that he's finally got some depth. And as we'll get to later on with recruiting, if he can stack another class of guys that uh, that they're in on and the list of high-quality linemen that they're probably in the top one or two with right now it is probably at an all-time high. So that's how you build depth and build um, true depth is to just stack those classes. So we'll see. And, uh, you know, here we are. We've probably been talking, like, what, 10, 15 minutes, and we haven't even ta- talked about the so second-string quarterback. I'm so battle. proud of us because that's, that's where the conversation naturally starts because that's where yes. the most intrigue is. And I, I'm mostly proud of you for steering the conversation in that direction. But, that's I mean, that, I think that says a, a lot of good things about the direction of this program, right? Yeah, that it, we don't have to talk about the backup quarterback as the most interesting or the most hopeful, you know, part of this football team going forward. And, and you know, I, I thought about it um, as far as, you know, as one of the first things people ask about the spring game. And a lot of the spring game on offense was an evaluation tool for the coaches. Because it for, was. I mean, it was just the two of them. Bentley played the two series. Yuri mm-hmm. got a couple snaps. But it was just trade-off. Joyner and Helensky go at it. Yeah, and I, I think if you say, hey, what did we learn from the spring game? Leading into the spring game, it was sort of they they lumped Helensky, you know, Joiner, Yurik all together being in that battle. Uh, no one's officially said, you know, Yurik's not in the number two battle, but it just seems like, hey, his role is going to be this sort of, you know, do it all, help on special teams, stuff like that. These two guys are battling out for number two. I would sort of take the approach of not necessarily, hey, who who's ahead, which I think it makes sense not to – even if the coaches have somebody ahead in their minds, you don't say it at this point because mm-hmm. you don't you want both those guys still fighting it out. Um, but On my, the other hand, if you said one of the guys was ahead, that would make the other guy work a lot harder, right? Maybe. maybe. You, don't, you don't know. Different you don't, strategy there. Yeah, definitely. But I guess I, there's probably a reason I'm not a football coach. <laughs> um, how long do you think that list is? That for reasons you're not a football coach. Oh, um, <laughs> at least five. Okay, um, we'll go into that in a future podcast. Yeah, but um, but no. So I left. I don't know about you, man, but I I left just saying I feel like the number two quarterback spot is like is going to be fine, reg- regardless of of how it plays out. And I I've always taken if you have two, you have none, as more along the lines of if you have a quarterback battle. Like let's say this was. An all-out fight for number, you know, for the starting spot. The Jake, you know, which it is, by the way, we just don't know it yet. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> J- not for J- Jake Bentley will start if healthy. Will start game one in Charlotte, one hundred percent. Period. But what about game two. But if uh, <laughs> that's for the season. If um, I'm losing my train of thought. 
Yeah, okay, so if, if it was all-out battle and no one was stepping forward to win, you know, that spot, then I think you would say, well, if you have two, you don't have any because that means one of them has not stepped up and taken the job. I, I go back to the year after Dylan Thompson graduated and Spurrier eventually, finally, reluctantly, I feel like, named Connor Mitch the starter going into that it was season. like a lifetime ago. Yeah, but it, it was like, I, I feel like going into that year, nobody, and then even Spur, you know, Spurrier can't hide his true feelings. And I, I'm not quoting him here, obviously, but I almost felt like, you know, they were like, yeah, so, so what about, you know, what about Connor Mitch made you go with him? And most coaches are going to be like, oh, yeah, you know, great, uh, you know, command of the offense. He's had a great camp. Preparation um, and, yeah, and all that stuff. Spurrier, I feel like he almost was like, you know, we're just going to give him a shot. You know, <laughs> like, so if, if you have, if you have too many, you have zero, I, I think. But yeah. so that, co- that, that's a fair distinction to make because this is not really a true quarterback battle. Yeah. It's just in, about- in college football, when you recruit well, you have, uh, you know, a lot of these teams have multiple four and five star quarterbacks on their roster. Now, the other side of that is, you know, eventually some of them transfer. But, um, yeah, I think you're right. I think you have to make that distinction. How'd you like how Caroline Joyner ran the offense? Very well. Um, Very well? Yeah. I, I went back and looked at his numbers from last year and in the spring game, sort of like year over year, one for five. I remember watching um, just a guy who did not look comfortable at all. I thought this year some things that go beyond the numbers, actually checking the ball down to his running back a couple times, um, stepping up into the pocket, not to take off running, but, mm-hmm. you know, actually shuffling forward, keeping his eyes downfield, rushes going past him and delivering the football. Uh, you know, those are things that some some quarterbacks, you know, never truly get comfortable doing. So I, I thought those were signs of progress for him. Um, and, you know, I, I think you, you go back to the fact that I don't know if I realized how different this offense is compared to what he had done in high school. I, I think high school for him was a lot of like maybe um, one read and then less let to carry on, go make plays because just he's be the, an awesome he's just the yeah. best player on the field. And, um, you know, I, I think when you make a guy go from not having to process so much information mm-hmm. to processing so so much information at once, then it, it slows down your reaction time and your confidence level. And I, I just think he's at a, a completely different level of confidence now. So I, I was actually very impressed with both quarterbacks. I, and I hear, you know, internally both guys have impressed. And the thing with Helensky that I liked was just the the quickness of his release. Like the ball comes out faster and with a tighter spiral most of the time. Than any Carolina quarterback I can remember. Yeah, like the ball is out. Like it's, it is It's amazing. I, I was talking about this earlier this week on, on my local show where, you know, by and large, if I'm just watching a game, like just watching Michael Skarnakia and Drew Locke last year in the Missouri game, for example, if you asked me which one of those guys had a quicker release, I wouldn't have immediately been able to tell you. You know, I, I would have mm-hmm. watched and I said, okay, like that's kind of fast. Okay, like that's a little bit faster. I see it. But with Helensky, it is so dramatic. How much yeah. quicker he gets the ball out than the other two guys. Like, it was so dramatic that I notice it, which is what I'm trying to say here. I don't normally notice that. That's not something that that I just pick up without really having to think about it. And I picked it up without thinking about it with Helensky. So that, his, his poise, and that, I think to me that speaks to his preparation. Because you can only get the ball out quickly if you know 
where the ball's going because, mm-hmm. one, you understand the offense, and, two, you understand the look that the defense is giving you. He didn't really put the ball in danger, which, again, really speaks to that second part especially because it's easy to know what route you – well, it's not easy, but it's easier to understand what routes your receivers are running. It's a little bit more complicated to be able to step to the line and say, okay, they're in cover two, so there's going to be a soft spot here so I can deliver the ball there. So that, that confidence, that poise, that quickness – really impressed me the caveat there of course is getting very vanilla looks on defense it's, it's not right. going to be that easy to to pick up those coverages necessarily right at the line of scrimmage but also he's probably not going to have to do that for at least like the first part of the season but he really really impressed me and and seeing him in contrast to on i agree with you obviously both guys i think ran the offense reasonably well to carry on one thing one other thing about joiner that impressed me is once he did get outside of the pocket, which I agree, he did a better job staying in it or trying to stay in it. And even once he got outside of the pocket, I think he did a good job of keeping his eyes downfield mm-hmm. for at least, you know, that extra second before he took off um, and did, deli- you know, at least try to deliver a couple passes downfield in those situations, which I think is a really important part of his game because, you know, you look at you look at guys that are, that are built like him, similarly athletic quarterbacks, guys like Russell Wilson. He has success not because he runs it, you know, for 50 yards, once a game, but because he gets outside of the pocket, he can extend the play, and then he can make the throw downfield. So that was one thing. But still just like, I don't know. Uh, maybe this is just me feeding too much into the hype train and just like buying too much into it. But, I mean, Helensky's the best passer of those three guys, right? He, he may be. Like just pure passer. Yeah. He, d- he doesn't yeah. have probably the commander, the understanding of the offense is Jake. He certainly doesn't have the experience. So when defenses start to throw confusing looks at him, new things, different wrinkles, different yeah, blitz packages, yeah. disguise coverages, things like that, it's going to take him a while to, to pick it up as well. And look, I love to, to be hard on Jake, but Jake understands the ins and outs of playing quarterback in the SEC. Now, there are other things that probably keep him from realizing his potential, but just in terms of your raw ability as a passer, I Helensky seems pretty clearly to be the best of the three. Because both Joyner and and uh, Bentley, at times, you know, they'll double clutch. They'll take an extra second to get the ball out, and, and we just didn't see that from Helensky. And he, he had a throw, um, I think you brought it up on Monday when we were on your show. Rolling out to his left? Yeah, where he was rolling mm-hmm. to his left. And, and, you know, like you said, is it necessarily the throw, you know, that you're always wanting to make? You know, maybe not, especially against a good, fast defense. But just the physical ability to – be running one way and sort of contort his body and and really sort of get his shoulders squared back up and, and make an accurate throw yeah. um, was very, very impressive. And, and in college, like how many plays that Johnny Manziel pulled off were ill-advised, like theoretical plays? A oh, lot yeah. of them. Yeah, and well, I remember, I don't know why this play sticks out so vividly in my head, but I remember Alabama's first game of the season, or maybe their second game of the season this year, Everyone's super excited about Tua, and he makes this really exciting play that made the Sports Center top 10 where they're in the red zone. He gets the ball, he's under pressure, he rolls out to his left, and then he turns and throws all the way back across the field into the corner of the end zone. I don't remember, maybe it was Jacobs or, or somebody in the corner of the end zone. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, amazing athleticism and arm strength and all this stuff. And I was just like, that was a horrible decision. And if he does <laughs> yeah. that stuff all season long, he's going to throw, you know, 20 interceptions. And of course yeah. he didn't because you're not doing that all the time. But, you know, maybe there is something to just having the confidence to make sort of those audacious plays. Again, not like Helensky did anything Johnny Manziel or Tua-esque, but, you know, just that bravery and that confidence in your arm strength and your accuracy to, to put a ball somewhere where it absolutely should not go. Yeah, and I think Helensky has that um, that brashness. He, he's got a confidence, like a, almost a, a calm confidence in the pocket where he doesn't really seem to freak out. And um, that's something that we kept hearing from – people all springs that you know this kid's just sort of um confident beyond his years as far as 
not really that guy that's got to tell you about it, but just more so the way he carries himself in the pocket. I, I did think, um, back to Joyner real quick, I thought that he almost got caught so much into trying to, um, you know, keep his eyes downfield and display, you know, some of that ability with his arm that his, his pick to uh, Jamel Cook, um, he really probably, especially in a game where, you know, he's getting tackled, he probably could have just cut it upfield and scored, mm-hmm. but was trying to, you know, make the throw and, and it ended up getting picked off. And, um, you know, there may have been even a little bit of overcompensation there to where, you know, I'm I'm not that guy that's just going to take off running. I, I'm going to show what I can do right. and play within the offense. And then um, there's always that, that, like, fine line. It's just like when you have a running quarterback, how many designed runs, you know, do you call for your QB, get, you know, and start stacking up hits on him? Mm-hmm. Like, you want to – you want to use his ability, but if he's going to find ten runs in the game just on passes anyway, you know how you can't be one dimensional. But you have to, you, you have to, to, you have to do what a guy's good it. at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't you don't want to call a million running plays for Tom Brady, but I mean, that's a bad example. Um, also, big recruiting weekend yes. in terms of the you know the football. Interesting, you know, it tells us a little bit. Most of it is just reading between the lines kind of stuff. We'll obviously learn a lot more in summer and in fall camp. Uh, but I think where we can maybe measure a little bit more progress is a lot of guys on campus this weekend, a lot of important guys. Jordan Birch taking a lot of headlines just mm-hmm. because he's such a high-profile player. And unfortunately, he's the guy that maybe we will know the least about over yes. the course of his entire <laughs> recruitment. So, uh, you know, any updates on, on him? Yeah, I, um, you know, from a personal standpoint, I always like it when the state of South Carolina has, like, these guys that nationally are being talked about and – Jordan was one of two five-star guys that were at the spring game. And, um, you know, when you write about these five-star guys, people read it. People enjoy following it. And even people who maybe aren't South Carolina or Clemson, you know, they follow the national guys. And I was like, I could almost walk to Hammond from my house. Like, he he is right right there. And, you know, it would have been so cool to sort of follow this one along closely Mm -hmm. and get, like, maybe monthly or every couple months updates on, hey, what's going on like that. But um, it just, you know, they want to play it close to the vest. And and that is 100% their right to carry it that way and, you know, try to respect that. I I think even with all that said, the fact that he's made three straight visits to South Carolina can not be discounted. You know, I I think that's – that is a just clear sign, I think, of – of momentum on South Carolina's side. And whether – I feel like there were two camps prior to this. One camp was just in this belief that this guy's going to Clemson. Like, the idea sort of started floating around in, like, the collective internet, you know, Gamecock fan base mind, I feel like. And uh, his camp isn't one to dis- to give any information, whether to dispel rumors or to start rumors or anything, so it just flourished. Yeah, it took, it took a mind of its own almost. And then there was the other side that um, was like, you know what, he may very well end up at Clemson, but he's he's nowhere close to you know to making a decision. This thing could take multiple turns. The one thing everybody sort of seemed to agree on was that this is probably South Carolina and Clemson, like in-state battle. And now I think both camps you see are like, well, even the ones that were like, hey, he's definitely going to Clemson, are like three straight weekends in, you know, at South Carolina. The fact that Clemson's spring game was going on the same day, yeah, and he rolled over there instead. I I mean, I feel as good about where South Carolina is now than I have at any point in the process with Jordan Birch. Now, what that actually means, you know, 
I, I don't know. If you said, hey, you have to give a prediction. Where's Jordan Birch going? Um, and I just had to, you know, roll the dice. I think right now I would say South Carolina. Really? I think I wow. think so. The three weekends in a row. That's a big yeah, deal. If, if you may, if you just even though he me. lives here and it's very easy. Yes. <laughs> it's yes. very easy for him to go down to the university. It's like ten minutes away. But there's nothing forcing him to you know to That's go true. over there. That's and true. And more important than the three weekends in a row for me is just that he picked Carolina spring game. That's significant yeah. because Clemson spring game was huge. Yeah, and I, and he knew it was going to be. And, and we talked about this before. If he if he had gone to Clemson spring game, I'm not really sure that would have told us. I don't know if that would have said as much because. You're like, oh, he's been at you South Carolina twice. Yeah, yeah, he's been at South Carolina twice. Now he's going to go check out Clemson. Generally, you know, guys go to the schools that they're considering and sort of compare them and mm-hmm. stuff like that. The fact that he, it's like, oh no, I'm just, you know, I'm going to roll over here. Uh, I think that's that speaks volumes. So I, yeah, I, th- I think just gut feeling, I would give Carolina the edge. Full, fully, you know, being honest that nobody really knows. Right. Yeah. Which is. Frustrating, but also like kind of the fun part of the process. It is. It's going to be just, just like the wait and see. It's going to be intriguing, regardless. Um, there was another five star um, on campus as well, and I'm actually going to sort of send people to Gamecock Central's front page because uh, it's a great front page. <clears throat> I'm it there is. a lot. Um, Adam Friedman, who is one of our rivals, regional guys, actually caught up with Marshawn Lloyd. That's the five star running back that was on campus. Um, he was at his school this morning. It looks like. Um, as we record this on Friday morning, so uh, Lloyd finally sort of gave some feedback, you know, on the on the visit, and it sounds like it went very very well. the The driving force here, and this uh, for those who I guess haven't really paid attention to it, he's a kid out of Dematha, Maryland, and um, you know, someone that just sort of has come onto the the stage here for South Carolina recently. He visited a couple months ago, and um, that was really out of nowhere. But really likes Thomas Brown. That's the driving force here is that he loves Thomas Brown. And immediately we see the dividends of hiring. Yes, yes. And, um, you know, and the fact that he, you know, again, following the visits, the fact that he came back, it was a multi-day trip this time, was on campus, uh, you know, a a couple days in a row, I I think speaks volumes about that situation. And, you know, the, the other takeaway from the interview with Adam was that, you know, I think South Carolina is firmly in this, but I also think that, He's a kid that doesn't really seem anywhere close to actually making a decision. So it's kind of one of those things where you're in the game, and that's probably as good as you can be right now. It's just in the conversation. You got to, you know, at this point, maybe you get him back on campus this summer. That's probably the next step to this thing. The teams we've heard the most would be South Carolina, who, you know, they feel they're in it. Georgia, he really likes, you know, the whole running back you thing, the fact that they've done. Well, hey, so, Georgia's got. A, I mean, Carolina's got a great Georgia running back. So you know, learn learn from a great Georgia running back rather than actually go to Georgia. True, true. Um, and uh, you know, Maryland has one of his former coaches on staff, so that's something there. And then uh, you know, I, I think Clemson's in, involved as well. And that, there's a, a bunch of other schools too, but those are the ones that we've sort of heard the most about when it comes to Marshawn Lloyd. Um, Any other notable? Notably positive or notably negative? Like, was anybody super discouraged there were only, like, 10,000 people there? Or were people just like, oh, I love this place. This is great because it was a nice day. Yeah, no no negatives. And, you, I mean, you, you don't hear a lot of almost, negatives. 
you almost never hear negatives for a visit. You know, the kids have fun regardless of where they go. Yeah, they get pampered. Um, I've seen I've seen the inside of the long football operations facility, and uh, you can't go there and not enjoy it. So, thing is crazy. I know we've talked about it before, but and I'll I'll say this again: if you're like you know Gamecock Club member and you have not had a chance to go actually tour it, I know they do like club tours and stuff. Go, go check it out. Like, just <laughs> go. You want to see where your money's going? It's going over there you know incredible uh check that place out uh let's see i would say real quick michael wyman the four-star receiver has been on campus many many times um probably by the next time we talk to y'all on here he will have announced his commitment um he's committing on april the 16th at 4 30 p.m we'll have coverage of that on gamecock central he was on campus that went well uh daquan stewart fellow north carolina receiver that has already committed to south carolina he um he was on campus, and that even though he's committed, I think that visit was well-timed because his recruitment started to take off. Other schools are jumping in, West Virginia, Penn State, um, North Carolina talking to him a lot now. They're going to get him on campus for their spring game. Um, it, it was just good for South Carolina to get him in. He had an gr- outstanding time. We talked to him at Rivals Camp on Sunday, and he said he said he's going to take some visits, but really the only way he would not sign with South Carolina would just be in the event that something happened with the staff. You know, he, it's more of a backup plan type thing. Um, Javion Cohen, offensive line commitment. I thought the interesting thing about him is he's actually sort of teamed up with Luke Doty as far as recruiting other guys to join him. Um, he had a great weekend and, uh, you know, it's just sort of really believes in the program to the extent that he's trying to get other guys to join him. And I saw someone on Twitter the other day, I don't, I don't know, like how much stock I necessarily put in this, and I don't remember who it was, but somebody was saying that that 2020 class, that Doty's class, is like one of the best, if not the best, in the history of South Carolina high school football. I is that hype train, or is that real? Sorry, sorry, Will, because um, I think that was from Will Helms. Oh, maybe. I, yeah, sorry, Will, but I, I can't go, I can't go near really? that far. Okay, I can't go that far. Um, but that, but a great class. It, it is a really a good class. class, and I, I thought, you know, I was talking to Luke Doty, um, who is easily in my top five as far as favorite interviews as prospects go, ever. Um, and I've probably talked to him more than than anybody ever because he makes it so easy to just, you know, to get on the phone. Him, you know, him and Helensky both. It's been nice. Um, ne- they've never turned down an interview request, which is is nice from our perspective, but. He, he was sort of talking to me about the guys he's recruiting, and he's sort of come up with this idea, and I, I don't know who term, you know who gave it the term or the phrase or whatever, but of the big five. And, you know, they're calling the big five in-state guys of being Luke and Tyshawn Wanamaker, who are both already committed, then Jordan Birch, of course, then Alex Huntley, of course, who's also at Hammond. He was at the spring game as well, forgot to mention him, and Tonka Hemingway, who's the Conway defense lineman that was also at the spring game. South Carolina's in good shape with him. So, um, you know, they, they've kind of focused on this idea of when South Carolina's been at its best, it's been because they've been able to keep guys in state to play at home. And they've really sort of I, – I, I like that, you know, the fact that you're going to – and every school recruits their in-state guys. But, but kids, to me, that anytime you can sort of just add value to something as, as far as uh, giving it a name or, or adding a little bit more flash to it, making it more important – I think that stuff works. So the fact that they're sort of, hey, we're going to name this group, say it's the Big Five, let's all go play together. Um, every little bit helps. That's pretty hype. Pretty hype. 
I'm like glad that? they're not going with. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I'm, I'm glad they're not going with Fab Five because that's cursed, you know. No, yeah, but the Big Five, big five. Yeah, simple. It's simple to the point, and uh, and they're into it. Uh, Gamecock Central is the place to go for all the other updates on all the other guys that we didn't get a chance to get to today. Uh, to follow the recruitment, get updates after spring, and then you know, obviously, follow them throughout the course of uh, their entire recruitment and plus more reaction from a bunch of guys on the site yes, about the spring definitely. game. And y'all got a good series going on right now in the newsletter, breaking down all the different position groups. I've done. Let's see, tight ends and wide receivers. What else have y'all done already? I don't know. A I, bunch of position Chris, group Chris breakdowns. Wrote those. There's a bunch more coming. There'll be yeah, there'll be more next week. We did a recruiting um, recap for today's newsletter. By the way, the newsletter is completely free. So sign up um, for that, dude. Easy. Even easy, if you're not easy. a subscriber to the site, yeah. you don't have to be. So um, sign up for that. You get every single morning when you wake up, you should have some gamecock related stuff. Just and waiting. if you don't, it's because you wake up too early and go back to sleep. Yes. Why and why do you do that to yourself? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I want to thank you all again for listening. And as always, remember to rate, review, subscribe, share with your friends, sign up for the newsletter on Gamecock Central. And we'll be back with you next week as a full trifecta, hopefully. Is Chris yes. gonna be back next week? He better be. He better nah, be. He'll, he'll be back. Um and uh if you wanna sign if you wanna subscribe to Gamecock Central, G C Pod is the code that will get you thirty days free. That's an exclusive podcast code we don't give out anywhere else. So that's you, you have to be listening right now to, pretty to cool. have that. So. That's pretty cool. Do Boom. It. Do it. We'll be back next week. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's $200 to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-427 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York.